Do you care about supporting small business? I do. Do you care about supporting women in business? Man, I really do. Do you care about excellent customer service? I think it's a dying art and I really, really support it. That's why I support Paco Collars. They hit all of these bases and then some. My dogs wear gorgeous handcrafted leather collars from them and I get to support a company that I really believe in. So if you believe in the same stuff I do, get over to PacoCollars.com, order the best dog collar you've ever had with a lifetime guarantee, and don't forget to enter the promo code COGDOG for free shipping. You guys, Worked Up Camp is happening again, and this time it's out east. September 6th through the 8th, write it down, save the date, we'll get you the details very soon. Hey there, dog people of the internet. It's me, Sarah Strumming of The Cognitive Canine, and this is Cog Dog Radio, a podcast about all things dog sports and dog training. Join me as I explore my cases and considerations regarding the behavior of the dogs we live and play with. I hope you enjoy it. friends, I'm back. I've been away a little bit because I have laryngitis, as you can hear. We're going on about two weeks here, but I'm on the mend and I'm really excited to get started. I've got Sarah Owings here on the podcast today. And Sarah is a Karen Pryor Academy certified training partner. She is a member of the Clicker Expo faculty. Uh, She recently started training for a new online school called Tromplo. And she also teaches for CyberScent online. And just in her spare time, she trains her own personal dogs, um, Tucker, a Labrador, and Zoe, a Pitbull mix. And she's also a compassionate teacher and a kind trainer and a brave learner. And I am excited to have her here on the podcast today. We are going to talk about some of the emotional pitfalls of the industry that we share, the dog training industry. So Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Sarah. I'm really excited to be here. I'm glad we're finally having this conversation. It's been put off multiple times, and I refuse to allow my laryngitis to put it off again. Um, So in one of our uh, pre-conversation conversations, you referenced something that you call the expectation game and how that kind of used to get at you, but you've pretty much managed it. Can you talk about what that is? Sure. I mean, I certainly can't say that I have fully managed it, but I am developing healthier coping strategies with it. Um, You had a whole wonderful talk with Hannah Brannigan a while back about imposter syndrome. And that kind of sparked sort of this feeling of the imposter syndrome stuff is like a subcategory of the larger stuff that goes on, on in our heads. Um, But certainly the expectation game, uh, the higher you go in this profession in terms of like now you're teaching others or you're putting your work out there or you've written a book or now you're speaking at big conferences. When when that starts to happen, right, it gets harder and harder uh, to to stay healthy, I find. I think so. And so those voices, those little nagging, niggling voices, I remember when I was brand new and starting out, 
and I would screw up, I'd be like, well, I'm new and starting out. And that's what you do. You screw up a lot. Now, when I screw up, right, it's a much right. bigger deal. There's a lot <laughs> right. more, there's a lot more like everybody's watching, you know, or there's just, a, and, but the biggest issue here that I've been grappling with is that so much of that is really still just in your head and really not what people are actually thinking. Um, you know, or even if they are, it's still mostly loudest in your head. So, so I think of expectations in a couple different ways. There's that professional expectation, but what I was really wanting to talk about the most um, is what happens with our relationship with our dogs when they become the showpiece for that success or, you know, because there's... Or, but then there's different ways for that to happen. Like uh, there's sort of the standard thing, like my dog must win all the gold ribbons or whatever. (laughs) And that's, you know, all of us are, are getting better at dealing with that expectation, right? Yeah. It's still there. If you, if you stay to me, if you, if you stay in any kind of sport for any length of time, you have to deal with this eventually. (laughs) Yes. Or you just leave. Right. So, yeah. Right. Um, and I've, you know, never had a dog before where I had even a chance of that kind of stuff. And now I do. So when you ha- also, when you have a dog that does incredibly well in yeah. your sport, it gets harder. <laughs> it doesn't get easier. It gets harder. Whereas my other dog, I was like, I'm so happy you wanted to go outside the door today. Right. You know, and that's right. my biggest I was just joyful, but you know, now it's like with my other dog, I'm like, Oh no, we missed our elite title by like three points and it becomes all weird. Um, but there, so there's that level, which is important to talk about and look at, but I was thinking more on a really more personal level when our dogs become the, mostly they become the healthy anchor points in our life, right? Like a great reason to get up every day, they keep us exercising, we get more fresh air, you know, yeah, we, yeah. all those good things that come from having dogs. Um, but they also become, I, I know in my own experience, kind of your daily obsession about yep. how are they doing, right? And are they happy? And, and now you're suddenly responsible for like every minute of their happiness. And right, and when they're not happy, let's say they have a bad day, or a dog charges them, and they have a bad moment, or you screwed up, and something happened. If you're if you get really invested with like I do, uh, that can be a serious thing. Uh, It's almost worse to me. It actually is much worse to me than not getting your elite title that day. it, yeah. it, it can actually send me into that I don't want to get out of bed tomorrow kind yeah. of mode of like, I really suck. I can't even take care of my dogs and I'm supposed to be a professional. Like, so absolutely, it's, it's, that mi- it's that mindset. And then you're either really hard on yourself or you put more pressure on your dogs. Like, you know, get better, damn it. And yeah, and, and that just feeds the cycle of feeling like you're not good enough exactly, exactly. <laughs> because you put that pressure on, you still don't see the results because of course you don't. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and so it's, I've been just thinking a lot about it uh, in terms of just mental health and 
what these animals represent to us and, and how can we keep that relationship as healthy as we can. Um, so that's kind of yeah, where, where I was hoping to, to, to go with this, uh, this whole idea. So, Sure. And I know that I hear from my clients all the time um, this, this similar worry. And the, these are even people who don't work in this field at all but they're interested in being better trainers and maybe competing with their dogs. And anytime anything outside of their control um, that's bad, that happens, can send them definitely into this kind of downward spiral. And it happens to me for sure. Um, and it's, oh, it's this fine, it's this tricky line that we walk because we're here a big part of what I do is coaching people to just take better care of their dogs, not just be better trainers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I get so much pushback from that stuff. Um, and I think it's because some people do take it really, really personally when they're not able to necessarily right, you know, right. provide the perfect existence. And what I want to stand up and say is that none of us is providing a perfect existence for any creature, including ourselves. <laughs> and yes. It's only worse if you hold yourself to these really ridiculous standards. Yes, exactly. That's exactly it. And that pushback is, there's a lot of information in there um, oh, yeah. about what's going on for that person, how deeply they care, <laughs> right? Often yes. the, the most pushback yes. is, means they really care, but they just feel hopeless that they can't do it. Yeah. Um, and so, but they might come off as uh, really defensive or, or not receptive to positive reinforcement training or whatever, uh, you know, so that's, that's uh, really important to look at. Um, and I think it's because they might look at people like you and I with this weird idea that we're somehow perfect at this, <laughs> right? right? <laughs> with these idyllic outings with our dogs. I know sometimes I look at all your beautiful pictures and I'm like, I don't give that to my dogs every day. Oh, I just, I, know it. I just can't do it. You know, they have to stay on leash or wherever I live. You know what I mean? And and that's real. And it's also, I think. Gosh, it's easy to make it look like my dog's lives are perfect on social media. <laughs> I know, of course. <laughs> and their lives are not. They're pretty far from it. And mine is also far from it. And I think when we tie our self-worth into our dog training and our dog care, we spiral the industry into a place that I don't want it to go. And what I'm seeing... I don't know if this is a real trend or if this is something that I decided I see, but um, especially in this positive reinforcement world that we live in. So we inhabit kind of this part of dog training. And in that part of dog training, I see a lot of people just talking about stuff going right, just posting videos of things going perfectly, um, just talking about how mistakes should never happen, right? Right. And what they're talking about is good training practices and things that we should all strive to. But it's so, so important to also post those videos where things do not go perfectly. Mm -hmm. um, and that also means, you know, 
maybe your dog had to, God forbid, go on a leash walk. <laughs> I know. And he, and he pulled the whole time and he was And he probably out. pulled the whole time. <laughs> and then we, neither of us had a good time because we were both pulling on each other the entire time. <laughs> and it's just, I guess my question, my big question is, um, I think the way that we shake the imposter syndrome, because like you said, that's just a symptom, right? Right. So the way that we shake the imposter syndrome is that we realize that perfection is actually an unobtainable place. It doesn't exist. I think Brene Brown said it's seductive, but it does not exist. Right. <laughs> um, and so it's kind of what do we do every day to feel like we still did the right things or maybe to let ourselves off the hook a little bit mm -hmm. and not tie our self-worth to the industry so much and not tie our self-worth to the video that we posted or the picture that we posted of our dog. Um, what's that about? I mean, how do, how do we get in there and just kind of accept that all these imperfections are okay? Right. Um, well, I mean, I have a variety of strategies on different levels yeah. that I, that I, you know, again, don't assume that I'm mastering these things, right. but this I, is, I am almost 50 years old now. I am almost 50 years old. Yeah. And I'm thinking at this point, at least the, the, at the, I can get a little perspective and I can, I'm at least good at, it's not that I'm not good at, like, it's not, I can't just stop the feelings. Right. Because they are always there. Um, but I'm a little better at stepping outside them now and kind of going, huh, you know, um, let's be curious about this. Like, why do I feel this terrible? Because my dog got surprised and blew up on another dog. Yeah, like, yeah. what what is that about? And do I really need to go back to bed for three weeks and, and never go outside? <laughs> like, is and I and sometimes I do. Sometimes I sometimes say, sometimes the answer is yes. Yes, I'm screw it. We're never going outside on a walk again. That's it. Um, yeah. But other times, I'm I'm getting better at getting to that place where I, I, I it's a little bit seems tangential, but uh, you know, Elizabeth Gilbert has that wonderful TED talk about genius, yeah. about genius. You know, about if anyone hasn't heard it, go listen to it. I'm familiar. Yep, and wonderful. and the idea is that I mean, it's about artists either you know if you say you are a genius then there's a that all the pressure is inside you to like perform and do this thing yeah. and it's all on you it's all inside you uh but it, what her idea is brilliant is like let's do like the old-fashioned way which is you you have a genius like you it's outside of you it's like a muse or a spirit or something it comes through you but you know it's not up to you all the time. <laughs> I just love no. that, um, that distance that you get that a little bit of, and I, I feel that way about depression. I kind of make a, a caricature out of it. I, I call it the under, yeah. undertoad, so, <laughs> which I think I borrowed from a John Irving novel, which is, oh, um, excellent. it's, a, I think there's a kid in that novel that misheard someone said, watch out for the undertow at the beach mm -hmm. and the, you know how children do she, he heard mm -hmm. undertoed and undertoed became this like character like there's this thing I picture like Jabba the Hutt under the water <laughs> that's <laughs> waiting for you and it will get you if you go in too deep right so uh, this helps me so much because when I start to go down that place 
I can go outside of it a little bit and go, oh, that's just the undertoad, you know, screw him. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I find that little bit of distance and plus it helps if it's a job of the hut caricature or something a little bit funny or a little bit uh-huh. not so serious. Not that these feelings aren't serious. They really, really are. But I find that a really good first step towards getting that distance I need, that it's not me that's a total wreck or hopeless or not worthy. It's not me. Right. Yeah. I love this. And I love it as it relates to depression, but I also love it as it might relate to challenges within the industry, like feeling like you're not good enough to stand on that stage in that, that conference. Right. Or, or feeling like, wow, that training session was garbage. (laughs) (laughs) You can just go, that's okay. That training session looks like job of the hut. And I'm just going to put it over there. Right. <laughs> and maybe the next one will look a little different. <laughs> right. 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 I have, I have some strategies for the, the icky training sessions too. Uh, very specific things. But the, the general depression stuff, I like. I find this, this sort of separation um, really helps. Uh, and, and just getting – I like the word curious – I love that. Because yep. if you can just, and it, it it sounds impossible, but if you can just get curious about your thoughts and your feelings rather than let them become all of that, everything that is going to happen forever. <laughs> um, Absolutely. It really helps. So that's kind of the, that curiosity is a great concept to just dig around in. Um, but it's something yeah. that I <clears throat> coached so many pet dog clients on getting curious about the way their dog was behaving right for so long before i attached that to my own yes. <laughs> mental health right <laughs> before i said well maybe i should get curious about why i don't want to get out of bed right so many days right. of the week right you know yep exactly and i was thinking we can't we can't be 100% present and kind and generous to our animals we can't if we can't do it for ourselves. We, we just can't. I mean, we can do as best we can. We can go through the motions. We can say the right things. We can hold the clicker. We can give the treats. But right. it's so difficult to just be kind to yourself um, so that you don't have that immediate devastation, especially let's say you're at a, con- you're at a seminar and you yeah. get up there and your dog can't do any of the exercises. <laughs> That the, the, that the host said that you're supposed to do. And, you know, and then what if you're a professional that speaks at Clicker Expo and that happens? Like, and everybody's watching you. And, you know, and so it's like, how do you, how do you, because what you don't want to happen to your dog in that moment is for you to go to where the undertoad is because yeah. that pulls you right out of the moment. Your dog doesn't know nothing's working. Right. Well, they do, but exactly. they they're just doing their thing. They're like needing to look around or sniff right. or whatever. They're simply responding to yeah. the environment, right? But as it is, usually what moment. happens I see is is uh, there's this huge disconnect between the person and the dog in that moment because the person suddenly gets super self conscious and starts. You know, you can just see the the self flagellation starting and the swords. You know, how many ways yes. can you injure yourself publicly and talk about how, what a bad trainer you are? And, and there's your dog going, but I, but I love you. 
you know, I, I'm just confused right now. Like, so if yeah. we could, if we could just that moment of like, that's what's really important is can you just stay present even when everything is going like to hell? Like, can you do that? And how? Um, like, can you just keep eye contact with your dog and, and just start feeding treats and, and just thinking in your head, I love you so much right now or something, you know what I mean? Like what actionable right. thing can that person do uh, to stay connected and, and, and it, yeah, it helps me to understand too in that moment because I've definitely experienced that moment and I will again. Mm-hmm. Um, it's important to me in that moment to know that these people actually showed up to hear you talk for a reason. Mm -hmm. And so you have, to me in that moment, it's so important to, like you said, stay connected Mm -hmm. because that's a teachable moment too. Right. And if you get, you know, if we demonstrate for each other in this industry, panic, freaking out when the dog is not, responding as expected, um, then that's what we demonstrate. And, you know, it's, I think we always find out what kind of person, you know, like we find out so much about ourselves and about others when things are not going right. (laughs) Right. We, (laughs) when things are going well, you know, I don't think that we learn near as much, um, about these kind of deep down pieces. Right. Um, cause a lot of us can stay, really positive as long as everything is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right, right, right. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I, I have other things that I do that I find very helpful. Yeah. Let's, um, <clears throat> I'd love to hear a couple of them for sure. Um, well, just in terms of specifics for, for training, just a training session, mm-hmm. um, there are really simple actionable things like I train every day. I work my dogs every single day because um, mm-hmm. it's it's one of the things that brings me true joy in life. So that's one of my larger action items is I, I try yeah. to do at least once a day like something um, that brings true joy. And definitely working my dogs and, and just playing around in the training room brings that. So we do that every day. Um, but but then there's that pressure, right? This is my This is my joy moment. And oh my gosh, now my dog is screaming at me because my criteria <laughs> wasn't clear. Yes. And all of a sudden, my joy moment is just filled with that icky consternation. Is a frustration oh. moment. Is a yucky moment. You know, yeah. and, and 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 you start getting really worried. Like I've just destroyed. You know, I've messed up all the conditioned emotional responses to all my training cues, and I got to start <laughs> over. I need a new house and a new training room. Let's start over. No. Um, so what do you do in that moment? So there's some proactive things I found helpful. One is I, I have noticed that if I train earlier in the day, like when I'm more awake, when I've had my coffee, the sessions go better. So that's yeah. a simple thing. Like I noticed every time I tried to do something important after three o'clock, it sucked. Like the yeah. session sucked. And I'm like, so that's easy. I can do that. I'll just do all my, my important training I have a policy now. All important training happens before three o'clock. 
Because yeah. um, the dogs are probably tired too. Their blood sugar is lower. They're hungry. Yeah, it's a slump time for all of us. Right. So that's something you can notice little patterns like I'm better at 9 a.m. or 6 a.m. or whatever. Um, another thing I do, which is not everyone's cup of tea, but I actually love to play music while I'm training. Mm-hmm. That puts me in a different flow so that when there's a mistake or something, I can flow better rather than kind of get paralyzed. It's just kind of a, well, let's just dance this way. And we've got yeah. our favorite music. So little, that's tiny little things, but it really helps me. Um, and then uh, a third tiny tip is uh, the beauty of stationing. Because yes. if your dog loves to go to a station, it could be a mat, a crate, a raised platform. It doesn't matter. As long as the dog loves to go there, anytime anything starts to go haywire, it's back to station. We love station. Go to station. And yeah. you can reinforce for that. Your dog looks happy because the station is a great place to be. And you can kind of have a think about maybe you want to have a plate session next, something else. You want to change the that you want to change your plan. But if you if you kind of just drift around with no structure, uh, I find that's when your brain gets tired, your dog kind of gets tired. Like what I mean is like a, a half an hour session where you're just kind of continuously randomly working on things. Mm-hmm. But if you have kind of a stationing ritual um, and you only actually concentrate on your training for like one minute at a time, that helps you with that that lovely focus that you're trying to, you know, that connection. And in, in one minute, you can't do a lot of damage in one minute, right? right. Even if no. the rate of reinforcement plummets and nothing goes right and you, the dog missed all the targets or whatever, it's only a minute. And then you, but if you go on for half an hour that way, you're both going to end like wrung out rags, you know, where you're both exhausted and frustrated. So little, those are little actionable things that I find just a good time of day, play some music, make sure I have a nice structure to my sessions, um, just little things. And everyone should develop their own. It's not, you don't have to do it my way, but I don't know if that makes sense, but that makes a it big makes difference. a lot of sense, Sarah. And I think it's actually reminding me of something I used to do when I was in college. I don't know why I'm even thinking about this, but I was, I was thinking, about stationing, as you were saying it, and I was thinking, wouldn't it be nice if we had a place where we could always go to (laughs) (laughs) that would be consistently reinforcing Uh and very, you know, never scary, always clear, always reinforcing. And I had this like one spot on campus that I would like always go sit Mm -hmm. between classes and between everything going on. And for a kind of highly sensitive, introverted person, undergrad was hard. Yeah. <laughs> and I went to a big state university. And so it was like this constant influx of sensory input, basically. And I had this like one spot that was always quiet that I could always go to. Mm-hmm. And I wonder about our dogs and how how nice it is that we've, that if we utilize stationing in that way, that we allow them a space that they can always return to where they will always be reinforced and it is safe. Right. And now my wheels are turning as far as, as an adult human, how do I make this still happen for myself? (laughs) (laughs) And I think it's why I go sit in my car when I'm at agility trials a lot of the time. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, it's like a breather. And can you can you make that more portable? Right. Somehow. Um, the other thing I like, I I like personally, I like crates. Um, but I I I think all stations are good. But what I like about the crates is when the door is closed, as long as the dog likes being in there, right? I mean, yeah, they actually can take a break. They don't even have to, yes. they don't even have to hold a stay. Like they can, no. it's super clear. They don't even, there's no, there's like, cause you know, when you do clicker training, the dogs do a lot. They take a lot of responsibility for the work. So if there's a question mark, like, am I supposed to be offering behavior now? Am I, are we, yeah. are we doing something now? Like if you have too many of those question marks, it's kind of like drains the battery of that focus that you're wanting to have. So I, I like to just be like, it's super clear for you. Right now, you don't even have to think very much. Just enjoy your snuffle mat. I'll do all the thinking right now. <laughs> right. So it, yeah. it works really nicely. But yeah, I love the idea of trying to translate that for ourselves, because that's that's the point of this podcast, right, is how can we do the same self-care as we're, you know, we take, we do such a good job working so hard to take care of our dogs. Um, we do. We don't always take a good, good care of ourselves. Um, it's so true. And we, I like what you said about, um, you know, if you're not practicing that self-care, you can't give the dog the things that, that it needs. And now you're in this cycle of feeling bad about not providing something right. and then also continuing to not provide it because you're not getting it for yourself. And so you can't actually provide it. Right. Um, you know, it's like I feed my dogs really well. I know you do too. Like we both really enjoy making our dogs a nice meal. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Um, but I also take feeding myself really seriously. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't really fully able to feed my dogs as well as I do now mm -hmm. until I also made sure that I was being fed appropriately. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you're spending all of your money and all of your time on raw food and then you're eating McDonald's. Right. I am the first person to say that that is a problem. Yeah. That's not a good thing. Yeah. Uh, I think people sometimes brag about it. They wear it as like a badge of honor that they're like, well, my dog eats better than I do, has better medical care than I do, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I don't think we can do that much about the medical care. I know. <laughs> but I'm, I, I'm, guilty. Kind of, I'm kind of guilty of that one. I was like, I'm totally guilty of that one, but it's outside of my control. If my dog actually needs an MRI, they're going to get it the next day. Right, right. It's kind of, ama it's kind of amazing. <laughs> um, so we, you know... But I think it's so important to come back to, okay, for me, taking my dogs on an off-leash walk, mm -hmm. um, I recognize changes in their behavior when they get to do that at least three times a week. Mm -hmm. And I, but I also really enjoy it. And it's also really healthy for me. Right. But there was a time when it caused me too much, too much anxiety. Yes. Right. And when it caused me too much anxiety to do it, I then was not able to provide them with it. And then that would often become just kind of this sh guilt and shame spiral. Right. Um, but what had to happen was that I had to get serious about my anxiety mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and actually take care of myself in that way. And now that I've done that, 
and it's certainly not fixed and certainly not over because that's going to, that's kind of, you know, self-care is, is a daily action kind of thing. Um, now I can give them what they need because I'm mentally able to do it. Right. And that, that wasn't going to happen overnight and it wasn't going to happen without some help. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that it's so important to say, you know, if you're feeling bad about not providing enough for your dogs, I want you to take a strong look at whether or not you are actually taking care of yourself. Yeah. Because once you are, taking care of your dogs better actually is easier. It's easy to do because you're not just drowning in, you know, whatever it is that you're allowing to take over and not and block yourself care from happening right right and and you're more able to a little example would be you know um i can't always do the amazing off-leash hikes that i wish i could um i think my dogs would well i know tucker would definitely benefit but even when i had to do he just went through knee surgery and i had to do these stupid short leash walks um, (laughs) and we don't have much of a yard and he wasn't even supposed to be off leash in that yard he had to, everything had to be, but the, I would go to f- the quietest places and I would let him move as freely as I could. And I would let him sniff and I would let him pull and let, you know, and, and yeah. I was able to, in, when I had that good mindset of not, <laughs> not punishing myself, he says, yes, you did. Um, <laughs> then um, I was able to be like, yeah, Tucker got a lot of good time today doing stuff he loved, even though he had to be on this stupid leash, you know, like, so I was able to see it, even though it wasn't perfect. Do you know what I mean? But when you're down on yourself, you just thought the whole thing was terrible. And you're a terrible dog mom. And, you know, I mean, I went through this uh, phase for a couple weeks, you probably saw on Facebook, where I'm like, that's it, we're selling our house, we have to buy property in Oregon, because Tucker is not happy. (laughs) He needs a lake. He is not happy here in a condominium. You know, and like that was that phase of like, uh, and nothing here is going to be good enough now because I'm in this mi- this mindset, which is not helpful. Um, and you know, I got through that, and now we're having a great time again. So it's just, and that's the other thing too is when you go through these periods of time, it really can be helpful if you're like, this will end. Like there will be an end point. Yes, because it absolutely when you've. You know, when I was in my 20s dealing with this stuff, it was like, I don't, I think your sense of time changes is, it was forever. I mean, it was really forever. Like this, this feeling will never end. Um, and now I'm, I actually am a little better at like, well, this sucks and I don't want to get out of bed. Okay. You're, you can stay in bed for a few days and, and dream of buying property somewhere else and flee, and fleeing your life. <laughs> And then don't worry, you know, it's going to, you're going to come out the other end and, and have a good day with your dogs again. It's going to happen. So that, that's just really helpful. It's not easy, but it is possible. Well, and it comes, that relates back to behavior as well, because, you know, like you, some of your, you know, before you had Tucker, some of your work that I found that I thought was really fascinating and wonderful was the work that you did with dogs that were essentially agoraphobic essentially could not leave their homes right and zoe was like that Mm -hmm. i think Mm -hmm. and um it's important for them to learn 
over time and through experience that they can do a thing and not die. <laughs> yes. Right. Oh, but it's so tricky to get there. It's the same for us. Yep. Yep. Like we have to go, oh, I, the undertoad is here, mm-hmm. but he's been here before mm-hmm. and I got through it right. and I'm going to get through it again. And screw that guy. And screw that guy. Yeah. He's here, but I don't have to worry about him being here. Um, it's important to me to let myself have that. It took me a really long time to just kind of, like you said, like, look at depression as an outside entity, as not not something that inhabited my body, but something that might inhabit my space sometimes. Right. And, you know, that's just, that's the visual that I run with is just, okay, you're here, but I, you're like in the passenger seat. You're not driving the car. Right. Um, <clears throat> and then I'll kick you out at some point. <laughs> right. I'll kick you out of this car at some point. And if we... You know, it's it's fascinating because the more people I talk to about this kind of stuff in our field, the more I find out that we're all dealing with it. Right. That's the other thing. Everybody, <laughs> feels, everybody thing. feels this way, yeah. um, which is interesting that we, you know, we still struggle with connection. Um, we struggle. We feel alone. Um, so that's that's part of it is that's the, that's it's not real. <laughs> like it doesn't need to be it's that not. way because we're, yeah. we're all, you know, we're all there. We can all talk about this if we want to. Some people it's very private and they, you shouldn't share if you're not comfortable, but it does help to know that others are, are there too. Well, and it's, we kind of in this um, positive reinforcement based dog training world, I think we all got here because we wanted deeper connection with the animals that we train. Yeah. And then we found out that it doesn't get you very far if you don't also connect to yourself and then other people. Right. Right. <laughs> I took it. And um, that's important. Yeah. It's important to know that and to kind of just take care of each other in this field instead of continuing to, you know, every time you see a video, make a snap judgment. How about you see a video and you go, that's a brave person for putting a video. Yes. Right. Yes, absolutely. Um, that's why I kind of started this whole brave learning movement. Yeah, I love it. Um, I did learn this from a mentor of mine when I was teaching kindergarten years ago. And, and the whole concept was our entire classroom had this kind of motto for the five-year-olds, but it was for the teachers too. That was when I was a lot younger and I was a super perfectionist teacher. So it was sort of the same thing. It was like, if these kids don't have the most perfect day of their lives every single day that I'm in charge of them, then, (laughs) I mean, I was just like, I remember just like, I was like constantly sweating. And I mean, I was just, I was working so hard to make every single one of those little people happy. And you cannot make five-year-olds happy all day. There is impossible. No, like, it's just, can't. they put marbles up their noses. And like, you know, it's just, and, and I had to, like, deal with that. And my mentor was fantastic. She's like, you know, the teachers are the bravest learners of all. Like, um, and so when we would screw up, like, we, I don't know, we would say something wrong. Or the, the kids would clap for us. They loved it. They loved watching the teachers uh, just be honest about the fact that we don't know yeah. everything. Um, oh, yeah. That was one of the things that we really tried to, we tried to model for them. And so it was the idea was yeah. just to keep a safe space for learning. 
And I've really carried that with me as I can coach trainers. Um, I just, I try to set that tone. Uh, brave learning means a couple things. One, it, it starts with that self-compassion. Two, uh, it really helps you get into that state of curiosity rather than um, this weird expectation that is not even real. Uh, it's, it's what's happening right now is where you need to be. It, it's what you need to pay attention to because that's where the data is, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, if you're constantly looking at the perfect, shiny model session in your mind, you're actually going to miss the important data that you need. So brave learning, a big part of that is just, again, kind of being objective about being like a scientist. Say, okay, uh, that's why I kind of, I, people think clicker training is very cold and, and clinical mm. and like, we're, yeah. deliver- we're counting reinforcers and blah, 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 blah. Um, and maybe it's some, in some situations it looks like that. But for me, it's that beautiful flow of data where I can just sort of observe and learn about and just take that feedback. And again, I'm only working in one or two minute sessions. So no harm done if, if, I, only, if I don't get anything done right. But uh, then I have this beautiful data, and I, I, if I think of it as beautiful data rather than, you know, uh, boy, that was yeah, rather than just hash marks, just, hash marks in the fail I suck, I suck, I suck, I suck. Um, yeah. And um, I have this wonderful student right now. Well, his name is Ryan Cartledge. He's he runs the animal. Yeah, I've met Ryan. He's, yep. I mean, he's a wonderful human being. So much love there uh, for everyone around him. He just spreads it. But he's in my CyberScent course. And CyberSense is this tiny little approximations. We do the tiniest approximations you have ever seen. And and what he does at the end of every, he writes, he follows my rubric of, you know, you write down the things, the specific things you think went well in your session. And then you write down uh, one action item that you feel like you want to build on for next time. And that way you're not ignoring the feedback. You're not just saying, I'm great. I don't care. I don't have to improve. But you're also not letting it turn into a, a reason to beat yourself up. It's just data. So, but this is what Ryan, he always puts at the bottom of every write-up. He goes, possible approximations to build on this awesomeness might be. <laughs> yeah. And that's so Ryan, right? But I'm like, I yeah, think everyone should be, I know it sounds silly, but I think you should be required to put that at the end of your training summaries. Because there's always a moment. It'd be it'd be healthy for me. <laughs> you know what I mean? And sometimes yeah. with, with CyberScent, you might get like one in in one minute session, you might get one correct repetition where the nose went straight over odor, right, or something. Yeah. And yeah. then and that's it. You only got one, and you tried like ten times. And it'd be really easy to focus on the nine times, right? It didn't go right. But I'm like, no, Very easy. I was like, no, we're clicker trainers here. Focus on that one time. What happened? Did you feed a little faster? Did you drop it in from the left instead of the right? Was your dog lined up a little more straight? That You need to focus on exactly what happened in that one time you got the right, you met criteria, and then you build on that awesomeness. And that's all you need to think about because if you build on it, you will, maybe you'll get two next time, right? Or... So that's kind of how I like to work. Uh, it's a never-ending process, though. There's never any like perfect one, perfect session where nothing. Um, and I never. and I find that no, rather yeah. it's a it's a very joyous and engrossing 
way of looking at your training. Um, and if you can feel joyous and engrossed, you're probably doing it right, no matter what happens, right? <laughs> yes, I think we could say that about anything right. that, you're, that you're doing, right? right? That could apply to any of our work in the field. It can apply to taking Tucker on a leash walk. Right. Because you have to. Right. <laughs> right. Or right, right. Or, or, or what yeah. I worked on with Zoe for so many years, which was, does she want to offer behavior once? Yeah. in a session. And I used to just weep and weep and weep for her because I, I tried so hard to make her want to train with me and want to tug and want to go on adventures. And, and she was like, no, I'm going to go lay on my bed. Yeah. <laughs> and boy, how's that for a blow to a super excited new trainer who's want really hard. It's super hard. <laughs> really? It's like, I, you know, um, and I've been thinking, I mean, it's a whole, we probably have a whole other podcast on it, but like Zoe is about 14 now and she is kicking butt in the life department right now. Yeah, and she and is. I've been thinking like, what happened there? I, I mean, I, I literally, and I don't mean this in a bad way. I gave up on her in the good, in the good way. Like I just said, you, you said you get to be whoever you want. I to said, be. honey, do you it. do yeah. not ever have to leave the house again. I'd, yeah. I'm never taking you to class again. I don't care. You, you get to be you. And then I cried for like two, I cried for about two weeks, to be honest, um, afterwards, because yeah. that was a big thing to let go of. And then I just said, then, then my next thought was, well, I need to enrich her life somehow. So let's explore this stuff. But there's no pressure now because we're never leaving the house again. Um, and over time, I became better trainer. You know, partly it was me learning how to be a better trainer that made her shut down. So, but 14 years later, fast forward, she just moved to a new house. She has to live with Tucker who takes up, <laughs> he takes up all the space in the room all the time. Like he's always just the biggest thing. And she is just rocking it. Like she's, she is about to take, do her first trial, which I thought I would never have her do, but yeah. she's, she's like, every time I go and do pretend trials, she's like, this is awesome. Uh, where are my meatballs? Um, and so I'm just kind of going with it. I'm just following her lead here. And it's almost like she has suddenly, it's sort of like you're saying, like she's, she, she's felt safe enough for long enough Yeah, yeah. that she can now be like, and now I won't die. You exactly. know, <laughs> but if you, if I asked her that earlier, cause when she was younger, I said, go out and experience all this stuff. And so, you know, you won't die. She was like, no, I'm dying. Like I'm drowning. I am dying. Absolutely. It was too much. But after like years of just, uh, just feeling safe and doing fun stuff and, and building relationship with me and re huge reinforcement history. And she can handle these big life ch challenges now, um, which is just cool. She's really pushy. It's, and she's kind It's of, a huge, yeah, it's a huge accomplishment. And it's, it's one of the best things when, I mean, <laughs> when any dog kind of turns a corner, like I think you all, you have like a similar thing with Tucker because he is able to like function and relax and be kind of inside his body and not <laughs> just spewing out everywhere the way that he was right. when you met right. him. And it's the same thing because he's also like, you know, Zoe thought I'm going to die of fear. And Tucker thought I'm going to die of feelings yeah. just in general, yeah. right? <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> and I'm going to die of anticipatory, fr- you know, oh, frustration yes. and, oh my God. and all of that stuff. Oh my God, you put your shoes on. Oh my God. Yes. And now, and, and now I will die because mm. I just, I'll probably never get the thing that I want. Right, right. right. And now he just threw so many repetitions. He now understands he's not going to die. You're going to provide for him. Yes. Yeah, we will. I mean, most of the time he feels that way. Uh, not a hundred percent. We're not a hundred percent as it always there is. There are right? days I literally <laughs> torture him with things like you wait in the car. It is always turn to be brave, you know? Oh, and so he's hard. like, no, that's, that's the last big hurdle. <laughs> he's like, I want to be brave all the time. Um, but yeah, so absolutely. But he had it's same thing. It's, it's about this balance um, in terms of just, he was at one extreme, she was at the other. And how do you get that balance back of, of somewhere in the middle where we can just be real? And, and because yeah. I think healthy is about being real. It's not about being perfect. Healthy is about being real. It's not about being perfect. You're completely right. I like to think of everything as, you know, whether it's training or mental health or whatever it is, I just think of it as a pendulum. And sometimes it swings really far over there. And it has to swing back the other way before it can ride itself again. But you just kind of roll with it. And I like to think of um, this phrase, which is just balance is a verb. Hmm. So rather than thinking of it as a noun and something to achieve, think of it as something that you do every day. Hmm. Um, Sarah, I think that we have hit a lot of bases. Yes. <laughs> And I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. I think we'll wrap it up there. Um, and perhaps we'll have you back and just continue chatting oh, it's, <laughs> about it's, all of these it's things. It's an absolute pleasure. And I and thank you for all that you do because you are inspiring this level of real health. <laughs> it's real health. It's real stuff. And you're you're really inspiring this for me and for I know a lot of people. So thank you. Well, thank you so much for saying that. That's very kind of you. And for um, a lot of dogs. <laughs> and for a lot of dogs. Well, <laughs> right. <laughs> it's always helping helping dogs and then helping people along the way because they happen to be attached. Right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. All right, Sarah. Thank you so, so much. Uh, bye-bye. bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Cog Dog Radio. If you have questions or suggestions, shoot them over to cogdogradio at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to like the Cogdog Radio Facebook page. And until next time, happy training.